We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. Britt Robson of The Athletic coming in here in a second. We just recorded our presenting sponsor today is BetUS, a place for you to wager on the games with the NBA Finals here. At BetUS, they've got great payouts, the industry's biggest bonuses, and every bet type you can think of. You can join now by calling 1-800-69-BETUS or online at BetUS.com. Get 125% sign-up bonus using the promo code DANE125 at BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. On today's show, Britt and I will get into that terrific game four of the NBA Finals. And in the second half of the episode, maybe like a half hour in, we get into where we're seeing in these playoffs and what we're seeing in these playoffs and in these finals that can kind of be applied with a Wolves lens, kind of looking at what Ant and maybe D'Lo can fill in, in ways similar to guys like Middleton and Booker for Phoenix and Milwaukee. We also talk about how the offseason in Summer League is right around the corner and the NBA just doesn't stop. And then Britt uh, goes on to tell a fantastic story about getting hammered with George Carl at Summer League 30 years ago. So enjoy it. Here's Britt. All right, Britt Robson of The Athletic, again joining me here on Thursday morning, the morning after the Milwaukee Bucks brought the NBA Finals back to 2-2. A 40-point performance, Chris Middleton, 42-point performance, Devin Booker, Maybe a little tired, but pretty effective. 26-point performance from Giannis Antetokounmpo. Obviously, we'll talk about that block. Then on the neg- negative side of things, Drew Holiday shot 4 of 20 from the field. And Chris Paul somehow only had 10 points and 5 turnovers in the game. Britt, which, uh, which of those players, or where, I'm, I don't know, where do you want to start with this? Well, I, I think that, as I tweeted out last night, I think, it really dramatized in the modern game where you are emphasizing mid range a little bit more, but you're just emphasizing jump shots in general. And, and the threat of what you're, what I really want to say is you need a magnetizer who can get buckets and a crucible who can get buckets when the pressure is on. And if you miss the bucket, probably uh, your chances of winning drop from like, 55 to 38 or something, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of pressure. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the Bucks and Suns both have that kind of player. Um, and, and certainly uh, you could argue 
uh, that they're not necessarily the best player on their team in either case. Some would argue that Booker's better than Chris Paul anyway, but certainly Middleton is not better than Giannis. But when it comes to those moments, when you're having a close, you know, hard fought game um, for all the spectacular role players, the Jay Crowders, the PJ Tuckers, the Pat Connaughton's, you know, the Cam Johnson's, they're all cool. I mean, it's really, it helps make the game so much fun. But at the end of the day, does Devin Booker get a bucket? Does Chris Middleton get a bucket? You know, really, <laughs> almost is the difference. That defined it, right? Yeah. I, I think I think what's interesting with that is it's like there is this fine line, though. And I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I was listening to, to Zach Lowe this morning talk about it. And I think he said 53% of Phoenix's shots right. were mid-range shots. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I, I think we're all at this point where we're like, we could throw out the idea that mid-range shots are quote-unquote bad shots to take like that is well especially in that, the playoffs where defense yeah, exactly. is so good exactly and and particularly the way that teams are defending now but at the same time if it becomes so much your bread and butter then it is just a math game right because what do we normally say like over 50 percent, maybe 55 percent if you're hitting those from the mid-range area you know then it is a it's for sure like a good shot but at the same time, right, like a 55% mid-range shot, that's 1.1 points per, per shot, right? Like I, I'm doing the, the quick math here. That's that's well less than a 40% three-point shot. So they're just – it is important, and it's so necessary, particularly given the coverages that in the NBA are now opening up that area so more, and it's, it's just harder with locked-in defenses to get easy layups and open threes. But you can overdo it. And and I don't think Devin Booker necessarily overdid it, but the the other shots that that Phoenix might have been taking in the game a little bit um, yeah. got got you there. I think that um, a lot of it has to do with your personnel and your identity. Um, mm-hmm. Now with the Suns, I I can't verify this, but I imagine they took more three pointers than the I mean the the Bucks took as many or more three pointers than the Suns during the regular season, didn't they? Right, I would right. say the Bucks. The Bucks would have taken more during the regular season. But the Suns, so. you know, obviously have they have three point specialists. You know, true. Uh, and mm-hmm. and they have that in their game. I think the strategy would have been a lot less flawed if Chris Paul was hitting his mid range. You know, if Chris mm-hmm. Paul wasn't. Uh, you know, I make fun of Woj a lot because he makes his living as a gossip monger. But he basically. Uh, said something at halftime and at the game last night where he said, you know, is Chris Paul being worn down by Drew Holiday? And I thought that was a really good insight because Drew Holiday is a a physical beast on the perimeter. He's like Kawhi in his prime in that way, in terms of just casually using his body and, and the threat of pressure as well as the pressure all the time that it's both mentally and physically exhausting to play somebody like him. And, you know, Chris Paul is no spring chicken and has a ton of pressure on him to finally get this last step in this journey. And I think he was just flat out fatigued last night. And I wonder, you know, there are fortunately for the Suns anyway, some long rests between games now um, so that, you know, you'll be able to, you know, see what happens. But I do wonder about that. And I think that if back to your point, 
if Chris Paul is making that mid-range and getting open for that mid-range, creating space, uh, I don't think the Suns' preponderance of mid-range hurts them as much. Um, let's face it, nobody was making shots really except for Booker right. on a regular basis. To, to the holiday point, because um, I, I do think it has to be a two-sided conversation. We can appropriately assign blame for his shot making being poor, taking too many, missing too many shots. You mean Holiday also, himself on mid-range? Well, just just shots in general. Yeah, no, I, I was shot. talking about his impact on Paula wearing down. Paula. Yeah, yeah, that's okay, what I'm saying. Okay, it's yeah. it's two parts. Yeah. So offensively, he's struggling. I mean, for the oh. series, he's it's 36 percent from two, 27 percent from three. Last night was ridiculous. Twenty shots. And you know he's shots. not making them. I mean, and some of those shots... He, right, that like one with like a minute and a half left in the he, game and he pulled up from 15 feet, he, you're like, that is not going in. He, he does not have to do that. You know, it's weird with the Bucks. But you're, you're stopping me from giving him praise. Okay, I wanted to give right. him praise. Right. Because because Woj is right. You're right. Like, part of Chris Paul having that bad of a game was Drew Holiday. And this is this is really random, but, you know, it's, it's one of the... One of the advantages or benefits of, of watching random league pass games. And right. and I remember uh, last year when Holiday was in New Orleans and right. New Orleans had a bunch of injuries. And I think Zion wasn't playing. Maybe like Derek Favors was their big. And they're playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. And Kevin Love was playing really well. And, and the Pelicans had nobody to guard him with. So they just, that was like the first quarter. I don't know, Love probably had like 12, 14 points. So they go the next three quarters with Drew Holiday on Kevin Love. And and a lot of Love's points he was getting was on the perimeter. And so Holiday goes, all right, I'm just going to get up in your shorts like you're a point guard. And he starts he starts taking away his ability to, you know, to get any sort of pick and pop threes or whatever. So Love in his head goes, all right, I'm going to take this six foot four dude into the post. Right. And just try and go to work on him. And Drew Holiday, he kept loves, you know how Love gets kind of frustrated right. and Love tried to keep going at it. And it was like five or six times in a row where Holiday like ripped him in the post or, or just kept him off of his spot completely. And I think that I, we do acknowledge that Drew Holiday is a good player, but Drew Holiday is sometimes we only call versatile defenders guys who are like six, nine. Drew Holiday is one of the most versatile defenders in the NBA, even though he's six foot four. Amen. His his force as a defender is so valuable, and it's so it's why it was so shocking to me that they didn't put him on on Chris Paul in Game One. Remember they had PJ Tucker there <laughs> because they were worried about the role game, right? Because they knew they were going to switch everything, and they're worried about Aiton, you know. Right. And they were like, oh, Tucker will be able to guard Aiton on the roll. Well, not, I remember I kept watching that and thinking about this silly Pelicans game a year ago. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I feel like Drew Holiday can can hold his own on the post against DeAndre Ayton as well as as well as PJ Tucker can. Plus he's a better defender at the point against against Chris Paul. I mean, he's incredible defensively, been awful offensively. It's a it's a bizarre balance. And I'm really glad you talked about versatility. Because the Bucks have two players like that, and one could argue even three players like that. Um, Giannis can guard the point or the center. Uh, right. I mean, so you have a guy who's like seven. And often guards neither of them. Often <laughs> right. is, is right. off in the corner. Right, right. But, I mean, so he can guard anybody. Holiday can kind of guard anybody. And the secret weapon last night was Connaughton. I mean, man, what's crazy about Connaughton is – you know, and Budenholzer gets 
all kinds of shit. And some of it is deserved. Plus the fact he, you know, gives Vanilla a spicy nickname. You know, I mean, he's so bad at what he does in terms of presenting himself. Um, but he stuck with that switch that um, Phoenix kept on wanting to do of having Connaughton trapped underneath. And, and Connaughton defended well enough for the help to come a lot of the time and got the rebound a lot. He had nine rebounds. He has, <clears throat> per 36 minutes, he was third on the Bucks in rebounding this year. Really? Portis, <laughs> and, Portis and Giannis were the only two ahead of him. He was better there. Per 36, you know, obviously he didn't play as many minutes. He, mm. he was had more rebounds than Lopez, had more rebounds than Tucker. The guy is just, he's a feisty little fire hydrant, you know? And so... Well, how about how about the way he was guarding Booker, too? I mean, Booker was making tough shots on him oh, as well oh, in those situations. Booker, I mean, that's a whole separate conversation. I mean, <laughs> you know, Booker... I've got all kinds of respect for Booker because, I mean, he, he, he threw most of that respect. I tweeted about how he was mentally tough and you know he understood that the rest weren't going to call anything and then he started going ape shit over all the calls so uh you know i mean you know but there were, uh, there were some bad calls. how dare he make me look bad but i mean it's just <laughs> but you're right it was it was the worst officiated games of the playoffs i thought i mean first of all they allowed booker's sixth and seventh fouls i mean just yeah but even but even like rewind before that where there's that play where Booker's it actually fifth went off a Tucker's wasn't a foul, right? Yeah, I mean it, it was it was it was and then and then Tucker's way. fifth foul wasn't a foul. That was a Crowder flop. By the way, as a longtime <laughs> Jay Crowder fan, what a douchebag! I mean, you know, oh my goodness, can you believe how much he keeps flopping and wincing? The guy's gotten poked in the eye eight times and nobody else gets poked in the eye. How does that happen? You know, I have I where have he's like here. face down on the court. I have a note here as I'm showing you on my thing that says Crowder antics for profit and then Crowder antics for profit again. I mean, it was that the Connaughton one. I would have lost my mind if I was Connaughton on him where he he like came where Crowder was coming up to set the screen and Crowder just like fla Oh, it worked. He it threw worked. himself into the other side of the court. Crowder does seem to get actually hit in the face a lot, though. Yeah, well, I understand the impulse after watching him for a while. <laughs> I mean, oh. I have a good friend of mine who's a Clippers fan who just, you know, uh, just thinks... Do you have any Jake friends who like good teams? <laughs> now, I actually think the Clippers, uh, you know, have played the Bucks tougher than anybody else. Well, I mean, played yes. the. Uh, I, I, I meant historically. Yeah, yeah, historically, right. right. My buddy, who's a Kings fan, <laughs> right? Although, Half my yeah. friends are Timberwolves fans. <laughs> yeah, but on the other hand, you know, they've just underachieved on being. Hey, they, they fulfill your edict of having a a passel of star players. According to your formula, that's usually all it takes. Hey. <laughs> I wasn't into the Clippers this year. No. Only guy I liked on that team was Batum. <laughs> Batum was great. I agree. I mean, he was, I love guys that are, you know, the reinventions, you know. Right. But anyway, right. back to your point about, um, uh, I think it was mid-range and long-range shooting um, way back when. I, I do think that taking away Aiden as well as they did the last two games has been huge. And, oh. I, and I think 
it has gotten to the point now where um, it's like when you've been on a uh, smooth highway for 50 miles and all of a sudden you take a turn and, and it's not that rough of a highway, but it's, it's a rough road. And all of a sudden you go, you know, you, you don't, you're not used to it. Aiden is not used to not succeeding in these playoffs. And this is his first playoffs and he's gotten all kinds of credit for it. And now it's really crunch time. I mean, he's got a challenge right now. He's, he's glorious on the boards. He had five assists last night. He's playing the right way. He's just, his shot isn't, you know, that pick and roll isn't there right now as easily as it was all the other games. And uh, some of that is Paul, as we mentioned, but some of that is the way they're defending him. Um, and I it's, really think he's a, he's an X factor. He is the guy. If Aiden has a good game, more likely than not, they are going to win. I mean, if he gets like 20 points and 15 rebounds, it's over for the other team. It, it's interesting. And this does kind of tie into the, the mid range shooting because a mid range shoot shot is a, is a two point shot. Right. right. And the Suns last night shot 33 of 55 from two. That's insanely good. That's 60%. With Aiton only making going three of nine, so right. they're well over sixty percent without Aiton. And that was typically... Booker. All those shots we were just talking about, yeah. the Connaughton, Giannis, you know, everybody in his face. You know, I, I that's uh, it, it. Booker, the look on Booker's face at the end of Game Three, he kind of had the same look to be honest with you at the end of Game Four. But at least he had forty points versus ten when he was sitting on the bench during garbage time of game three, it just looked like he wanted to go, you know, break his hand on a wall someplace. And I thought he's going to have a great game four because he is somebody. I mean, I, that dude is going to be a postseason star for the rest of his career. I think I do not doubt his ability to rise up for big games. No, not, not at all. I mean, he's, it's, I mean, it's the, it's the Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray from last year, but even on a, a higher level and in more meaningful games. I think right? he's a better passer than both of those guys. Right, right. No, I, I, I don't, I don't mean that to be slanderous. No, no, at no, all, no. Like, right. There, there's a, there's a archetype of player exactly who, who can explode in these type of situations and these type of games where shot creation, shot making, is paramount. You know. Paramount, yeah, that's that's the word. the The thing I wanted to say with the with the two points, I, I think this is just just nuts. So Suns go seven of twenty three from three. Bucks go seven of twenty nine from three. You know, about the same there. Right. Phoenix goes thirty three of fifty five from two, and Milwaukee goes thirty two of sixty eight, and they win the game. So Milwaukee rebounding. You you tweeted the, it out. It was the offensive yes. rebounds and the five offensive re, five offensive rebounds for. For Phoenix, 17 turnovers for Phoenix, 17 offensive rebounds for Milwaukee, five turnovers for Milwaukee. The inverse right there. And and sometimes these games we simplify with pointing to a stat or, you know, oh, how many fast That was a good one. Did. That one was the difference. It's in, not in exact math because sometimes a turnover and an offensive rebound can happen on the same possession. But that's True. roughly 24 extra possessions. <laughs> I know. They, they shot they shot 13 extra twos and six extra threes in, oh, there in it is. One. so that's so that's 18 so that's probably how many extra possessions they had because yeah, the fouls I mean, were probably evened out you know so right. uh you know that's that's enormous when when you know 
when Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton are not having good games and you have that kind of disparity. Now, some of it obviously is contributing to that. Paul's turnovers clearly in that marker. But and the, and the Suns stayed close anyway, and it was on the road. And you got to think there's a lot of reasons why the Suns will bounce back in a game five because a lot went wrong for them. You know, but we'll see. Sometimes it's all momentum. It's interesting, like, we could pretty much point to all of these games and we go, well, the Suns need to have two of Booker, Paul, and Aiton having a big, having big games for them to be able to work. And I think it's the same thing with the Bucks. You have to have two of Middleton, Holiday, Giannis to have, have a big game. And, and I was thinking about this, and it's just been kind of stuck in my head, particularly with Milwaukee for the past couple rounds, where they have no bench. They have no bench. And I was thinking about for both of these teams, if they had a Lou Williams type of player who could fill in for that for one of those games, like Phoenix last night, where they only had one of their three guys going, they have nobody who can have that out of nowhere, you know, 22 points off the bench type of game. And and I know Cameron Payne did it like in one game in the conference finals, but you go through it and it's like, unless, I don't know, does is Cam Johnson going to make like six threes for you? Like, or, well, those are the guys, Cam, Cam Johnson. And, but those are a little bit different, right? They're, those are guys that need to be open. Yeah, Cam Johnson to, and Payne and then Connaughton and Portis would be the other guys on the other side. But and, who of those guys are going to go out and get me 20? Right. I would say that Connaughton and Payne are the, the guys who are closest to being able to do that on, on the, off the respective benches. But then if you, you got to regard, to some extent, I don't know if this is accurate. Certainly it seems like at the last two games – Connaughton has played more minutes than Brooke Lopez, so you can't really call him a bench guy. True. He's kind of like a starting five guy. I mean, he's not starting, but he's, you know, he's getting a lot of minutes. So I'm just I'm just continually baffled as I as I look at these at these box scores at the end of the games, and I see the three players that come in on the bench for the Bucks are Pat Connaughton, Bobby Portis, and Jeff Teague. And then the rest of the guys Well, Teague is a waste, uh, obviously. Well, Teague is a waste, but so are the rest of the guys on the team. Thanasis, Elijah Bryant, Mabdi Diakite, yeah. Bryn Forbes, Justin Jackson, Jordan Awara, Axel Tupain. I mean, can anybody name where half those guys went to college? Like it's right. right. It, it it it's uh Did you mention David Nawaba in that? No, David, no, I I said Patrick Nawaba or what? No, Diakite. You love Nawaba, but he's I on do. the <laughs> he's on the Rockets. I, I just say, wait a minute. <laughs> Let's bring David Nawaba on there. The unsuspecting. All right. He's your Karis LeVert. <laughs> yeah, maybe. He's a poor man's Karis LeVert, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. The NBA Finals are here, and this summer's betting action is heating up with my friends over at BetUS. Looking at some of the odds over at BetUS after Game 4, the Phoenix Suns have now dropped to only slight favorites in the series after that Game 4 win by Milwaukee. They, the Suns are now minus 160 win the series, according to BetUS. I believe I said on here after game two that the Suns were all the way up at minus 480. So the series is definitely shifting. And if you want to bet on it, BetUS has a ton of different prop bets that you can hit. Also with the UFC, MLB, golf, Summer Olympics, football season all just around the corner, you need a sports book. BetUS has the industry's biggest bonuses and every kind of bet type you could dream of. BetUS has been a pioneer in online betting for over 25 years, prides itself on being America's favorite sports book. So take advantage of this action-packed summer and sign up today at BetUS.com. That's BetUS.com or 
69 bet us receive a 125 percent sign up bonus when you use the promo code dane my name dane 125 if you miss tip off forget to bet you can bet live at bet us as well and if you care for some blackjack there are also hundreds of games in the bet us casino i bet at bet us and so should you join now by calling 1-800-69 bet us or online at betus.com bet us you bet you win you get paid the best talent brings out the best in each other. If your company is looking for teammates to take you to the next level, you need Indeed. When hiring gets hard, you need Indeed, the job site that makes hiring incredibly simple. Just attract, interview, and hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all of your hiring in one place, even interviewing. Don't just hope your perfect candidate will find you. Indeed's hiring tools help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter. In fact, Indeed's instant match provides a list of quality candidates whose resumes are on Indeed the moment you post a sponsored job. Indeed Instant Match helps you make a short list of great candidates fast. The moment a sponsor shows up, you get a list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. Then you can invite them to apply right then. Indeed helps you hire great people fast. Plus Indeed takes finding quality candidates even faster with 135 assessments to help make sure you find applicants with the right skills. Best of all, you only pay for applicants who meet your must-have qualifications. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through September 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Brett. So we've we've kind of hit on what happened in Game Four. What do you in in the second half of this? Let's right. let's get into what what happens the rest of the series, and then um, if we want to get into some other around the NBA or Wolves sure. specific no, things too. Uh, but but what about what are these next three games in your eyes? Well, I I've happily said from the beginning of the series, I have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, I really <laughs> yeah. don't. You you have effectively copped out every time we've talked. Well. Can you blame me? I mean, what, what are you anticipating here? I mean, you know, anything I say might be right, might be wrong. I will say that whenever I've just like thrown shit off the cuff, I've been more accurate than things I really believe. So uh, right. maybe I ought to just say things off the cuff. What I can say is that um, sometime in the next two games, Giannis is going to dominate in their offense. Uh, he's going to get like, what Booker did last night will be Giannis. He will get 25 to 30 shots. And um, how great he is at doing that uh, will make a huge difference. He should do it on the road because that's where they need it the most. Milwaukee's 9-1 and one at home in the playoffs. So uh, where they need Giannis to be the best player on the court, and as a two-time MVP, he should be showing that, um, is on the road. So I would say that... Um, Do you think they go to hack Giannis on the road? Um, yes. Um, you know, in a moderate way. You know, I mean, part of it is Giannis does have now, you know, game three has given him some fortitude. And it, it the idea... I mean, if the NBA really wanted to screw with people now, just totally drive both fan bases nuts, they'd start to enforce that 10-second rule. And, uh, you know, then things would just be berserk. But it doesn't look like they're going to. So you, you covered you covered that Timberwolves team that their strategy was against the Lakers in the playoffs 
to hack a shack and they had right. what they have Irvin Johnson, Madsen, yeah, uh, who was the third Stanley Roberts or something. I don't know. Where they threw no, at him no, and no. that was Let me see, uh uh Irvin Johnson was was Ola Candy on that team? I think Candyman maybe. No. This is when the Wolves were good. Yeah, but I think he might have been uh he might have been a starter for a while that what, year. What was it like asking uh like Flip about that in those Flip times? loves were that kind got... of stuff. Yeah, Flip okay. loves like wrinkles. If Flip hmm. can have a wrinkle, he's dying. If you don't ask him after like five or six questions, he'll volunteer it. You know, <laughs> really? he used to love, you know, the outlaw, zone defenses were outlawed when Flip was coaching. And so Flip would always slide in how we managed to evade the zone defense law and still play zone defense on some things. <laughs> I mean, he, he just loves to tinker. He, he loved to tinker. He's a, you know, I miss him now that I'm talking about it just because He's so gleeful about basketball, you know, and, and uh. all aspects of it. And the idea that he could have an impact on the game somehow was just, you know, that he was, the world was his oyster. If he could, he could be talking about something he had done. He once told yeah. me like the most satisfying thing is to call a play out of a timeout and then just watch it work perfectly. I mean, he said wow. that was like the most satisfying thing he could, because I asked him, you know, you never played in the NBA as a coach. How do you compensate for that? You know, what are the greatest joys coaching? And that was the first thing he said, calling a play out of a timeout and having it just happen right away. My head, first place my head goes to there in modern NBA is Brad Stevens. Hmm. Although Stevens, Stevens is, Flip was good, but I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, the game has evolved so much. Um, they both became president of basketball operations. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They did. Yeah, they both, although Flip always wanted to do both. He was, uh, yeah. you know, even when he was coach, he, you know, basically would, he and McHale had an interesting friendly mm-hmm. rivalry about what to do with the team a lot. So, but anyway, yeah, it's, uh, I think hack uh, Giannis will happen. Um well, it's just it so clearly impacts him more when he's on the road and everyone's right screaming at him, you know? Right. Like that's it it would totally be something. And and what we've kind of seen the NBA move to in these situations is it's it's a way to almost slow the game down more than anything else. Right. Right? We saw the, the Hawks do that against Simmons when they were at a deficit. Right. You know? Right. I guess we're at a deficit or if you're at a profit, you know, if you're up by up no, but if you were on a run, oh no, no, up you wouldn't want to. Yeah, but if you were Thinking on a, if you're on a run, closing yeah. in on another team's big lead, you're giving them a chance to think about the fact that if I make these shots, it will dent their run. If I don't make it, it's like a yeah. it's like like a made shot for them in some way. You know, I mean, it it enhances their momentum. I think when you're on a run and you you hack somebody, you increase the pressure, and obviously. Nine times out of ten, um, you know, guys are making and missing at the line because it's mental. Now, every now and then, it's no coincidence that very big men have more trouble because I do think it's like shooting a Nerf ball more like, you know, your hands are too big. Shaq, in particular, will, same way. But I do think mentally it's more than, you know, it's more mental than physical almost all the time. And for, for Giannis, I think it is. So, yeah, I think that it's – I expect – what I will say is I expect Phoenix to win game five. Um, hmm. And then um, I think it probably will go seven. 
just because I think they're really interesting teams. They each have things they can do and adjust to that can dent and can can really uh, take, they can take away each other's strengths on occasion. And, um, and that's a powerful thing to be able to do. Now, you might argue it's because neither one of them are great teams, which is, is an argument. Um, I would argue that um, they both are really solid teams defensively and uh, with time to prepare those defensive weapons can blunt things. Uh, I, I think that's a big part of this too, is to, I, I think both things can be true. I think that these two teams cannot be great, great teams, mm -hmm. but also how quality they are as defensive groups makes the opponent look kind of worse right. because, you know, it just, it's limiting the amount of shots that go in. Right. And, right. and, and I think very basically, that's kind of how we began to quantify how good a team is, you know, how elite is your is your shot making. And, you know, reality of the situation is you got Giannis in there, you know, taking away that pick and roll, getting that block like he did on DeAndre Ayton. Even Brooke Lopez is super hard to finish through right. at the rim. We already talked about Drew Holiday. Like, <clears throat> is this Suns team, is this Suns team, if they win the championship, going to be, you know, one of the best champions? Or no, I guess not. But... But it's still impressive that when, even in a game last night where they are able to go 33 of 55 right. from two. Because that is, you know, that is impressive shot making. It's even more impressive shot making when you're going up against the best defensive team of the last three years in, in the NBA. So I don't I the honestly the historical stuff isn't isn't all that interesting to me. I'm a much more like in the moment of of what's of what's happening person. Now it'd be a different conversation. Do we want to talk about who I think is going to win the championship next year? Right. I know. Um, we, we, I, I we began to have that conversation the other night. <laughs> we did. But, um, but I, 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 I take nothing away from, from either of these champions. I think it, either of them winning the championship, I think it's going to be a fascinating series that whichever one of them wins is going to have to have busted their ass, Yeah. you know, to, to get it. It was, I don't know. This just struck me in the, the first quarter of the game, it was just really physical. And it was kind of like one of those scrums underneath Milwaukee's hoop. And and you know, I think it was one of the times where PJ Tucker like brought in an offensive rebound and it's like um four people you know, jumped on. <laughs> yeah, just right under there. And and Tucker finds a way to like rip it out and it's just this it's this instant second of chaos. Right. And then immediately gets kicked out to Chris Middleton and Middleton like takes a sidestep dribble, pulls it back behind three and slowly like knocks down the shot. And I think that's, I think that's something we forget that is so difficult that you can play your ass off in basketball, but if you're not able to slow yourself down enough, slow your mind down enough to shoot, right. you're not going to, you're not going to make shots, right? It's like, if the Milwaukee Bucks all play like the NASA Satanic Kumpo, yeah, they're going to be <laughs> wild and they're going to be ripping the ball up, but their minds are going to be too anxious yeah. to be able to to knock down a shot. And that's one of... They're going to be 12 and uh, 62 or whatever it is. You know. it, it's one of my favorite things, though, about, about high-level playoff basketball is the fight, because I think we all love right. to watch that fight, right. but also being able to turn the switch off to, you know, metaphorically or I guess right. realistically, right. take a breath to knock down a shot like... That's so cool. And and seeing guys be able to do that. And to Middleton's credit, 
I thought he busted his ass last night while also slowing himself down enough to make 40 points in, in the game. It was and impressive. I wonder, you know, his post-game interviews are always so uh, low-key and, you know, just that was so wild last night. He just not a not a he's just yeah you know he was making he was talking about Booker. He was making some tough shots. We just had to do things, but that is the way he plays on the court too. You know, I mean, right. there really is a correlation between um, you know what has to be done. I think what Middleton is really good at is knowing when his shot is is smooth. I mean, he right. doesn't you know. He turns down some shots you think he should take and takes some shots you think he should turn down, but he very rarely looks awful on the shots he does take. And I think there must be a reason why he doesn't take the other ones because I, I just think he's really in tune with his own mechanics and his accuracy and his mindset when he's on the court. Um, and, and not to blow this out of proportion – but I, I, the player I think of, what, what, what you're describing right there is Kevin Durant. Yeah, I think I Kevin totally. Durant is, is, you know what I mean, yep. is so in tune with that right. of of his rhythm, right? right. And, and sometimes, and Durant does this too. Sometimes they, he tries to force himself into a rhythm, and we've seen Middleton right. games this year right. where he knows what that feels like, and he's trying to go get it because he knows if he hits right. one or two, then he's going to be able to go for 18 and a quarter. I mean, right. what was that game seven, right, uh, against Brooklyn? Didn't didn't Middleton have like twenty points in the yeah, third quarter yeah. or something? No, I think he had eighteen last night in the third quarter too. I mean, the dude yeah, is it's... a tremendous closer. And and what's interesting, the the contrast is Booker, who wills himself into being hot. He he right. he doesn't know he's hot. He just thinks this is going to be the shot. I mean, you know, he you could just <laughs> see him, you know, just go get it, you know, and. It's just as effective. I mean, he's probably got a higher true shooting percentage than Middleton. I don't know. But they both are just really, really good shooters. And they operate, I think, in a different mental zone. And it, it's kind of fun to uh, to see that happen. Um, I think that Can key- I pivot this? Huh? Or can I pivot this to something sure. Timberwolves related? Yeah. So again, as I'm as I'm watching in these games and I can't like not somewhat watch basketball games without putting them through a Timberwolves prism in my head and and this proliferation of the mid-range and this needing of guys finding a rhythm and everything we've really been talked about right. talking about today um with the wolves it's kind of a question mark of not that they don't have players who could do that but but who will be doing that and a lot of this we're describing Delo and what right that's what I'm saying those are the right? two guys right I mean and, and Ant has a little bit of that, whatever we were talking about with the Middleton and KD, finding that rhythm. That's what we saw him first doing right. against against Portland that one time. It's what we, we saw him do more. I'm kind of forgetting the game specifically. But Ant does that. He does that when his shot's going in, right? right. Where he's able to kind of find a rhythm, you know, a rhythm in, in his three-point shot or his mid-range pull, that sort of thing. Other games, like the Phoenix game comes to mind, where Ant – dominated with force but sometimes ant also dominates with kind of finesse creating space getting to his right his jump shot and scoring in those sort of areas and then delo as well i mean delo's game isn't it, this wouldn't have been a ridiculous thing to say 12 18 months ago is delo's game offensively is similar 
to Devin Booker's. And I would even say now, I think it's similar to Middleton's in that hmm. he wants crunch time to arrive. I mean, D'Lo has a different D'Lo. I mean, and now I'm going to like that. Now I'm going to besmirch him by saying he reminds me of Wiggins in the sense that Wiggins waited for crunch time to really be super aggressive with his shots, especially in the first few years when there was a question of who should be the crunch time scorer. If you remember, you know, during Wiggins first four or five years, which happened to be cats first three or four years. And one of those years maybe even had Butler enter the picture. Wiggins thought he should be the crunch time guy and acted like it on the court when it was crunch time. And remember so when Sam Mitchell talked about that. Do you ever that, that on NBA TV? Do you remember that clip? I, I remember I, I actually wrote an article about it. I like tweeted out the clip and Sam Mitchell was like, Andrew Wiggins thinks he's better than Jimmy Butler because look at the two times when we played Chicago. Right. The, right. the year before. And, you know, and we, we beat them both times and Wiggins outscored Jimmy both of those times. And it's sometimes we fit, forget that that is the yeah, psychology. It gets, it a lot of times. Personal, right. 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 Yeah. And that that's a good point. Um, I think D'Lo um, strikes me as a person whose self-image is when it's time to close the game out, that's my role, you know? And mm -hmm. to his credit, the guy can get his shot off. Very, very rarely does D'Lo get a shot blocked because his release point is so high, his arms are so long, and his judgment on when to go up his ball fakes. He's, he's, he's somebody... I'm not saying he's going to make all those shots. I don't know what his accuracy is. I know he's run hot and cold. He's he's lost games for the Wolves and won games for the Wolves mm -hmm. with his late game shot making and and missing. But I do think that he will be one of those people if the Wolves ever get good. Yeah. Who thinks, all right, you know, finally, you know, year whatever, this is my time. Uh, and if Ant is on you know the career arc that we expect he's on um then i think it's going to be a fascinating uh you know corollary it's you know but again this this goes back to these two teams right it's not just one guy right but it on, isn't, it isn't on just the other hand it isn't just one guy but if middleton or booker is not getting the ball when it matters for a make or miss win there will be questions asked I mean, that's the thing. And I wonder if it's D'Lo or Ant. But not I if mean, it's Chris Paul taking it. Yeah, I think even so. Unless it's a classic. Mm, if know. it's a classic. Chris, if it's Drew Holiday taking it, then maybe. But I mean, but. also, if it's a classic Chris Paul move, if Chris Paul can, you know, do the whole double feint and try a 15-foot fadeaway, if Chris Paul gets his shot, then then – you could say no, not it won't be Booker. But if Chris Paul is driving the lane, has to pull up and, and shoot an awkward off balance shot from a place that's not his spot, then you go, why didn't you get the ball to Booker? If Booker does the same thing, you don't say, why didn't you get the ball to Chris Paul? You know, right. I do think that there are pecking orders in crunch time, and I think that Middleton clearly has it for Milwaukee. And Giannis doesn't mind that. I mean, Giannis is well, one because of, it just makes sense. He's one of those cool superstars that is willing to, you know, be part of the group. And I know that doesn't fit in with the whole Shaq Barkley bullshit. Um, <laughs> but there are but, ways to be a generous 
alpha on your team. What, what's interesting is I think a lot of people would would hear you saying that and say that's not Cat, right? Cat would want it, you know, he it he would want the ball, he would want these things. But if we look at how it's played off over Cat's career, right? Cat has been a generous superstar. He hasn't been the guy taking those shots late in the games. And a lot of times, you know, people wanted to point at Tibbs for that or Saunders or or whoever, but but really Cat has been more like Giannis in that. Not that he can't take a shot late. I mean, we've right. seen Giannis create late. We've seen Cat create late. Right. But but Cat has not been he's never been demanding. Right. Um pretty I was gonna say he's never been demanding in the last two minutes. He's never really been demanding period. I, I would like to see him be more demanding. I right. Chris Finch said that to us a bunch of times. Like, right. I would like to see right. Cat be more demanding, right. you know? And if you remember the home opener last year, or actually the opener, um Detroit, yeah. His dimes he he mixed in. It was a beautiful mixture of made trays, dimes to his teammates, you know, the right hockey assist pass. Um, I think I can get excited about Cat being like a superior role player, um, which is weird to say because he happens to be one of the greatest, most accurate shooters in NBA history. Um, mm-hmm. But for all kinds of reasons that have been gone into ad infinitum, you know, bigs trying to create their own shot are easier to defend than, than really athletic wings trying to create their own shot or really long arm guys like Dio trying to create their own shot. So, and, and I would like to find more ways to involve cat the coaching wise involve cat in, in late game situations as well. I mean, I know you said pecking order is really important. I agree with that as well, but if, if it is the wolves next season, right. And there is, you know, we're, we're talking under a minute left on the clock. I don't want them to be dogmatic in what Agreed. they are, what they are doing. I, I think about that Oklahoma City game where it was just Nas setting a pick and roll for D'Lo every time, <laughs> and it was that over and over and right, over. Right. And Ant isn't getting a touch. And he's in the, right, you know, right. he's in the corner. And I think, objectively speaking, the best play you could have ran if you were the Timberwolves was a high screen Nas Reed for D'Angelo Russell and, and letting D'Lo create, look for his shot drive. And if you go through it, D'Lo actually made a good amount of those shots there. But there is a rhythm to basketball. There is a there is a need to involve your second best player if you want to win in crunch time. You want to win in the fourth quarter and Ant didn't touch the ball yes. for six minutes. And I would agree with all that. What I will say is it depends on what the stakes are. If the sure. stakes are all or nothing, and you don't rely on your go-to guy, and you miss the shot, you are going to get second-guessed. And I am... Yeah, I just don't I, love the, I've, the I've process your, of logic there. I don't I love have the process been, of logic I have been there. in your camp for a long time, and I'm starting to move away from it for precisely the reasons we talked about at the beginning of this thing. If you have a guy that can get a bucket and, and in the face of enormous pressure... Give me a last night proved it to me. Give me a contested Devin Booker shot over a wide open Cam Johnson shot. And Cam Johnson has been money from from wide open. I mean, if you get Cam Johnson an open corner three, I think it's been very, very successful for the Suns. But if if it's gonna be the season or not, or that game or not, yeah. um, I think I'd still rather go with Booker 
because Booker, that's his deal, you know? And Cam Johnson, maybe he'll make it. And Connaughton's kind of the same way. Guys that, you know, are wonderful role players. But, but yeah, okay. So this is an age-old question, and, and I, I hear what you're saying, but we can, I could list off for you Chicago Bulls alone, an example of those Cam Johnsons, Paxton. John Paxson, right. Steve Kerr, right. those sort of things. And I think it's actually interesting with Cam Johnson and Pat Connaughton specifically because they have gotten late-game touches. They have gotten critical touches in those games. And Cam Johnson, being the pure shooter he is, he's a guy who grew up being an offensive player his whole life. Right. Right? Right. He's taken those type of shots. Yep. And and I don't mean this to be slanderous on Pat Connaughton, but if you watch Pat Connaughton at Notre Dame, he's always been this role-player guy, two-way, thinking about involving other sort of people. I doubt Pat Connaughton's ever been a, give me the ball late in the game and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be the one who makes the shot. And how you see that show up now is you remember where Connaughton had late in the game, minute or two left in the game, he caught it kind of like at the nail going towards the basket. And really he had the opportunity to go up and try and finish it, but he tried to drop it off. He tried to uh, drop it off to, it was either, well, it wouldn't have been Porter. It might've been Giannis, might've been right. somebody, somebody else right under the hoop. And Crowder anticipated that and, and took it away. And that's right? when it, so, it, that was that big scrum where I think uh, Chris Paul might have been riding somebody down to the ground. I think on that play, <laughs> could have been. It's just right. I I have I, that's a very long way of me saying I have no problem with the guy who's not number one in the pecking order taking the shot, provided you know that that player has high level offensive confidence and, and to the to Wolves perspective to they have those guys to be fair to Connaughton too Giannis found him in the corner that was a key shot in the, was a you big know, in crunch time you know so again it is it's there's at so the much end of the day this, what yeah. we're saying is it's a smart play if it works it's a dumb play if it doesn't you know exactly I mean that really remember LeBron you know the the narrative on LeBron which was kind of like a retread on the constant narrative that KG. Garnett got. Yeah, right. They used to slam Garnett for feeding his teammates. You know, he lost seven straight first round playoff series and he didn't change, you know. But when it was game six and he was in on his way to go to the conference finals, he, re- he got 38 points of his team's like 83 against, yeah. against Sacramento. So, <laughs> you know, um, it, it is, it's a great argument, a great debate, obviously star players. What a shock Shaq and Barkley and those guys think that star should hog the ball. You know, why did, why do they think that, you know, because they hog the ball constantly, you know, I, I, I look forward to the day that, you know, Grand Hill and, and LeBron or somebody are asked, you know, should that guy be, you know, trying to take over the game right now? Because it, it's a different deal. In fact, I, it 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 pains me. There's so much redundancy between Shaq and Barkley. I mean, Shaq is just like an impoverished man's Barkley. You know, there's absolutely no reason for him to be on that set, uh, aside from some you know ridiculous foil for bad comedy. You know. Anyway, I don't know how I wound up in that cul-de-sac, but I I'm glad I got my. I, I can't pull my, you out. You got to get reversed. <laughs> I don't think this is the first time I've said that show sucks. So we'll just leave it at that. I I like it. I can't stand the ESPN one. Oh, interesting. I, 
I've actually during the well, finals, Jay Williams like, is really bothersome. He's trying to be terse and uh, smart, and all he is is he sounds like. Um, I've just got to the point quick, with quick like, there, there's so many places now for great NBA analysis. Right. There, there just is, you know, whether that be. But it's the about personalities. To... It's not about the yeah. quality of what they say. It's how they say it and what the repartee. It's about the trimmings, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just not, you know, that's that's not. That's not for me when when the TV the TV analysis right that you know that isn't for me. What is for me on TV and I'll you know I'll sit down I'll I'll, I'll watch the halftime show if it's right. Shaq Kenny and Barkley because I know I'm I'm literally just here for entertainment in the and, same way I would Kenny, turn on. The, oh. Ken, Kenny tries his best. I mean, it used to be Ernie Johnson did too, but then he yeah. got a little bit of celebrity because of his illness and he's mm-hmm. been insufferable ever since. <laughs> Really, I don't know about that. Yeah, I, I, it's 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 just interesting because it's there's different people who who like different things. Right. I I really like Van Gundy during games. I think he's so good at like calling out things in the moment of uh, that you know that I can't pick up on immediately. I might pick up on right. watching it back or something. Right. But he's got that coaching eye where he's able to. Yeah, I agree. You know, he's able to grab it right and plus away. Plus, Mark Jackson makes him look good. But I know. Um, you know, I know other people. I, I think Doris Burke is that way too. She's great. And, Doug but, Collins but some people used don't to be like really that. good at it. Doug Collins know, used but, to anticipate stuff. I love people who, who dare to anticipate something going to happen. Yeah, Van Gundy had that last. There's like that weird jump ball. He's like, well, he's going to tip it to Portis right here. Portis <laughs> is going to see it, and of course, you know, it goes. Portis yeah. didn't see it. And somebody knocked that out of bounds. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, it's 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 funny. There's no. It's not one way to skin a cat, in, right. you know, in, in NBA media. And that's why it's, you know, that's why it's cool. There's a bunch of different people. So what do you think ways. coming up? I've given you so far, I've given you that the Phoenix will win game five. Giannis will try his best to go off sometime. And the success of that will be important. There will be hack a Giannis. And uh, I, I'll add further that I think it goes seven. The one big question mark I have right now is what's going on with Chris Paul's handle mm-hmm. and is that a product of Drew Holiday like we were giving Drew or Holiday injury, credit right? for and and last night particularly looked to me um, like what round one looked like once Chris Paul came back after that weird right. like, shoulder nerve damage thing yeah where that was so bizarre where he couldn't dribble the ball like his it right. seemed like his mind wasn't able to put his arm in the uh, in the place where the ball was going to be. Right, and and I don't think it's it's was all the way there. I, I think that last play where Paul kind of lost it was a little bit of him trying to flop and not really having confidence in that moment. He, and that I don't know. That was a weird. I think he slipped. To be honest with you, I think he slipped on the floor. There was a few slips last night. Cam it Cam just, Johnson did slip and yeah. tried to pretend it was a foul. I mean, I think some people just slipped. Yeah, but I mean, Chris Paul slipped a lot in that game mm-hmm. mentally. I think, or something. Right. I, I don't know. That's well, what I'm saying. I I don't know what that is. There was one play he made also where he was, he did like a back pass, which is a classic thing he does. Only it was right to Giannis. I mean, that I made no that, yeah. sense at all. Yeah. I mean, that's so un Chris Paul like. That's you know, that's what a scrub does. Well, in the in the Clippers series, I mean, yeah, Chris Paul had a. Well, that one big like forty-one point game or something, but the most profound Chris Paul stat I thought from that was 
that he had like six total turnovers in the whole series or exactly. something exactly something insane like that and and again as we're talking about this possession game as we, we talked about earlier with Phoenix is not going to be on the offensive rebounds at all outside of Aiton. So you're not going to create extra possessions that way where Milwaukee is going to create extra possessions with their offensive rebounding. And just in general, they're so big and long. They play the passing lanes phenomenally. You just have this discrepancy baked in on personnel alone that Milwaukee is going to get more possessions per game. So can Chris Paul counter that and balance that out by not turning the ball over by by delivering clean passes, getting good looks for his guys to, you know, to be able to to be able to score. Cause I think if you if you do even out that possession battle, I then Phoenix I think Phoenix is the more efficient team, right? Yes. I and, and maybe maybe demonstrably so. But um that's a question mark. I, I I think I we talked about this right after game one where as soon as Sarich went out you know, I just you kind of did the simple math, and you go, "Well, who's going to be backup? Right. Yeah, who's going to be backup center at, at all?" And and it wasn't really a concern at the time, and it wasn't getting hammered on because the next two games, or at least the next game, Aiden right. looked awesome again. Aiden hadn't been in foul trouble at all, and they do have and, a small lineup now that is an interesting change of pace. I mean. The, it's it's kind of like the, the the one they went with yesterday in the sec to start the second quarter is it's a little Clippersy. I, I brought it yeah, down here somewhere. I agree. They're they're very big. Um, yeah, it's a yeah, big okay. small lineup, right? Tory Craig, Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson, and Bridges are right, right. out there with four Chris power Paul. forwards, right? They're four power forward, you know, which right. is which is a little it's Clippersy. The old, so uh, yeah, four fours and an ace. And then they they eventually you know they, then they bring Aiton back in. So I feel like they can. They can survive with that. The interesting part is the reason they went with that lineup is because Booker was kind of in foul trouble there. If you just go with three of the power forwards and then Booker and Paul, now you're pretty now you're pretty small. If you have all four of the power forwards out there, I think you're big enough to scrap with Giannis. You're big enough to foul him a little bit. You're big enough to get the you know the defensive rebounds that you need. But with Booker and Paul in, who you obviously need in, now you're sacrificing size down the ladder a little bit more which is a that's a that's a again a and what was interesting was that bud stuck with his bigs he had both lopez and Giannis out there i think for some of that time and both sides got what they wanted in some ways i mean it was an interesting tussle um it was kind of like that mavs clipper series where where carlisle was just like yeah we're going with bobon and chris Tapps the whole time that was that's wonderful a, yeah, yeah. I, I love that right 15 feet of front court <laughs> <laughs> They were both like, almost seven and a half feet tall, but nobody budged. The you know, <laughs> the, know. The, the the map stayed big, and they stayed big even when they took those guys out. Uh, right? Know, was it Collie Stein and Powell? I think were the, yeah, the exactly. two guys who came yeah. afterwards. And the Clippers were like, "Well, we're, we're staying small," and it, it kind of it kind of feels it like is that. Fun. I mean, it's yeah. like this. Uh, it's a prove it. It's you're like, kind of wa- yeah. You're waiting to see, and what's great is that both sides get their their licks in to some extent. I think in that particular case, as much as I love that lineup, um, you know, having poor Zingas be stuck on the perimeter, I regard him, when he was with the Knicks, he was the best. You loved him. He was the best rim protector in the NBA. And I know he's been diminished by injury some since then. But if you have that guy, you know, running the paint, you know, just basically making sure nobody gets to shoot, um, 
that's where he belongs. And he's devalued now. I mean, somebody should pick him up and just make him a shot blocker. You know, I know he can make the threes, but just have him. Hey, your your identity is a defensive identity, pal. You go down there and you just make sure nobody gets to shoot whenever they set foot inside the paint. I think there's some concerns that he can physically still do that. I know. I know. But I would like to see it. Um, And maybe, you know, maybe it's been proven. I don't know. I mean, Carlisle is not stupid. So, but the Boban, Boban Kristaps thing, that was interesting. Loved it. It, Boban can't jump. (laughs) (laughs) Boban can't jump. What I love about Boban is, you know, he shoots the ball and he misses and everybody goes up for the rebound and Boban just stands there and grabs it. I mean, it's, 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 it's comical, you know, it's she, the kid in fifth grade. Who's already hit puberty. Shades and, of and no George Mirazon, you know, I mean, he used to do that stuff. Um, are you, are you last thing? Are you, are you thinking at all? Like, I mean, about this, this off season, just like not, maybe not Timberwolves specific, but it's really right around the corner. If we go, yeah. if we go to game seven in this, it's July 22nd is, is when that happens. And the draft and is I, the 28th, is it? 29th and then and, and then, then free agency, agency opens up on August the 6th, 1st I think or I don't think it's the, I think it might uh, be August 1st uh yeah beginning of August so, something like summer leagues on the 8th I it's remember bang, being it's shocked bang, bang, I looked bang. it up and it said August 1st I went holy shit I mean you know it's like three days after the draft and you know right before summer league and you know here we go. I, we're going to be doing some. Britt's going to come to summer league first for time. The first yep. time. There we go. I love it. I convinced him. Um, I think we'll be we'll be probably first time talking in Vegas about... anyway. I did it with the Los Angeles summer league one year. Got got hammered what with year George was that? Carl. Uh, <laughs> oh man, that was a wild time. But <laughs> <laughs> I was doing a story for Sport Magazine on the Cleveland Cavaliers and Tom Nassalki. What a, what a name a, of a magazine. Yeah, Sport Magazine. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, it, back in the day, it was like probably as well known or better known than Sports Illustrated. And um, anyway, Tom Nassalki was the coach. Ted Stepien was the owner. It was a dysfunctional the Stepien rule. Yeah, Stepien rule hadn't been instituted yet, I don't think. But they were terrible. <laughs> and, um, and George Carl... I think was angling to, to replace Nasalki as head coach at some point during that season. And if memory is correct, I think he did uh, at some point in time. Uh, so the shenanigans were, were in the mix. Not that I cared. I was writing a one, one off story, but um, I arrived there on almost no sleep, Los Angeles summer league and wound up going to a bar with George call Carl and man, we just, you know, got, really drunk and uh said a lot of things that he said were going to be off the record and i said fine and i don't remember them you now never remember but they were in, they were incendiary and they were probably against thomas alke but uh it was it was my baptism no doubt about it i mean i was like uh this is gonna be you and like 35 years weeks. old i was like almost you know just slightly older than you that's how far along ago it was but it was i can't wait to get hammered with chris finch yeah, they well, yeah, I mean, uh, that would be interesting. Uh, so I think we'll, you know, we'll have we'll have off season to talk about there as well on top of, I mean, it's 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 a really, Vegas is great for that. And there's just kind of a lot going on. I remember yeah. um, Jace and I were, 
la- the last summer league I was at, um, it was we're we're there. The Wolves played, and then we stayed afterwards because Zion was making his ah, debut. Right, right. And no joke, an earthquake happens, <laughs> and and I'm sitting next to Jason. Not be, be it we're from Minnesota, Wisconsin, right. and and like I don't know what's happening right now. And the speakers are the speakers are swinging up above. And this the is thing. in Vegas. I didn't know this Vegas is in, was susceptible to earthquakes. I it was like a shock from California. I'm worried about fires, something. man. But anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. A- anyways, so I just I remember this night very clearly. One first time ever watching Zion in person. It was incredible. Just it was it was shortly is that when he after. Blew his sneak route. No, that was at Duke. That oh. was at Duke. But he he just at one point in the game. Uh, literally Kevin Knox had the ball and Zion, I think Kevin Knox got a defensive rebound. Zion's right there. And he just puts both of his clamps on it, rips it away from Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox falls over without being touched. Just like, you know, he's a tug of war. He loses probably both feet off the ground. Zion gets up and just crams it. And then in my head, this is inaccurate. An earthquake immediately happens. It didn't immediately happen, but that happened. But no, this, then, uh, uh, Jason and I, we went, uh, to the SB nation. Like they have like a house there or whatever. And it was the first night of the off season. Like it, it had, it, it had just started. And, and, you know, so what's me and Jason, a bunch of bloggers from across you right. know, different, different teams. And it was just the perfect group of people to be with when the news out of nowhere went down that Kawhi Leonard was going to the Clippers. And then a minute later, Paul George was traded there. You know, we're all just in Vegas drinking and you're like, Oh my Kawhi, Paul George. Like, right. and then of course we crowned them the champions for the next two years. They haven't even, they haven't <laughs> even gone anywhere, but, uh, yep. but let, it's, let that some, be a lesson to your Brooklyn Net fandom. Yeah. It's not fandom. <laughs> they got three. They got three. Um, but I'm I'm excited you're coming. I'm excited. To, I think this this off season is going to present um, out of nowhere moves. Maybe not a ton of them. Maybe not a ton of moves. But you know, they more almost out of every year moves. does though. The 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 NBA has become an out of nowhere league because um, people see openings, you know, and mm-hmm. and and let's face it, people's patience. They're not slow building teams anymore. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. that isn't the way it works because stars are restless. And so, right. you know, you appease your stars or you start to rebuild, you know. And and the proliferation of the sign and trade opens up so many more possibilities. I mean, even just, you know, five years ago, the right. discourse about where, you know, what activity is going to happen in the offseason was almost completely predicated on who are the top name players who are free agents going into this summer. Right. And, and that's where kind of the moves came from. Now we've seen it time and again with these, with these sign in trades where it's, I guess sometimes the guys are free agents, you know, a Jimmy Butler going to, you know, going to Miami, but then that has this ripple effect of, right, right. you know, Josh Richardson going to Philadelphia back that way. Or, I mean, hell the, the wolves is a great example Kevin Durant was a sign and trade from Golden State to Brooklyn. And then the the baggage that went back Brooklyn's way was D'Angelo or went back Golden State's way was D'Angelo Russell, you know? So so that's what I guess is. So is we kind of we wound more... up getting uh um the dead eye shooter from Don't Brooklyn. Do Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. 
anyways, that's what I'm talking about. It's kind of like the second wrinkles of it that are that are pretty, you know, profoundly important. Kemba Walker going to Boston and Terry Rozier going back to Charlotte. I know that doesn't sound like, but it's it's the stuff where you're like, what? Right. You know? No, I agree. And, and I, I I think we will we will we'll have you know some some more of that this year. Obviously, Gerson Rosas has talked a big game about that being something that the the Wolves want to be in on. And you and have I, factors. You have the Simmons factor. There yeah. is no way, in my view, that he goes back to Philadelphia. Not oh, after that, everything that's gone down, you know? So I, I think he's gone. Mm-hmm. And then the question becomes, do both Griffin and Presti hoard the draft picks? Or does one of them go, Great point. Does one of them go, hey, this is the time for me to pounce. I'm losing... 80% of my draft picks and getting two stars, you know, um, mm-hmm. one of them. I, I see. I wouldn't even that. say that what I would do in particular, if I was Presti is as soon as like, not even a Simmons level, but like a 24 year old becomes made available somehow, uh, a Karis Levert, you know, <laughs> like I'm seriously, but like that, that type of like level right, of player, right. those are the guys out because if you're Presti, you know, you can, you could, whip out your wallet and buy, you know, a, a couple of hundreds and, and get a player like that and still be pretty stocked up. Right. Same thing if, you, if you're Griffin. And, and I think, I think the idea more so is that New Orleans will do that, will be more quick to do that than Oklahoma city. will. and I guess, you know, logically that checks out kind of where New Orleans is. Um, but it's it's a it's an interesting like alternative path to me if I'm if I'm Sam Presti in in Oklahoma City of like, well, let's avoid the possibility that this treasure trove ends up kind of turning into what it end, what ended up with the, the Celtics Boston. and Danny Ainge. Yeah, right. that right. is that yeah. is the cautionary tale. I mean, aside from the Fultz Tatum thing, they really did nothing with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it's so because. Because ultimately, like these first round picks, particularly when they are lottery protected, and I don't like when people say, oh, you know, late first round picks don't have any value or when it's out of the lottery, you know, they do. If you draft well, they do, right? Exactly. But so it's it, just because we can list off some Grant Williams and some James Youngs and some stuff like that doesn't take away from the fact that look, Jane McDaniels last year, right? Right, um, right. Sadiq Bey, right? Like, well, not only that, like that, but Presti is a good drafter. Regardless of where he drafts, True. he he gets mm-hmm. people. I mean, Lou Dort, for God's sake, I don't know if he was even drafted. To be honest, he wasn't with him, drafted. They, they Pokushevsky, yeah, Pokushevsky, everybody. <laughs> you can't shamelessly include him now, is it? No, I After you know I don't that agree guy with that so much. I I am not agreeing with it, but right, that, right, that's right. what you're talking about. Right. Is it's it's, exactly. it's targeting buried these... guys, you know, guys who are like mm-hmm. 13 years old who are playing in Switzerland. You know. Well, and and there's some of those. Right. This draft has a couple of those dudes, kind of in the might be just out of the lottery type of players or late lottery. Like right. this Josh Giddy dude, who's actually playing on the Australia national team right now, has you know has played. I was watching him play the other day um, against Nigeria, and and it's like yeah, that just totally seems like a, a guy that Sam Presti would. <laughs> right. He's been scouting for four years, and he you know wants to bring in with the 16th pick or something like that. So. It's and what about Griffith? I mean, he's got more in the tank Griffin, yeah. on his roster than mm-hmm. um, than Presti does on purpose, and he's also got a ton of picks. So yeah. you know, I can see him leveraging. You know, well, 
Lonzo Ball sign and trade. I think that happens for sure. What? Do you, how are you able to finagle that? Like, right? Can as can part of a greater it? package, you know, as exactly. like throwing in a couple of, you know, maybe a number mm-hmm. one and a number, you know, and a second rounder uh, mm-hmm. from one of his years, and then. And maybe being able to punt Stephen Adams somehow. Is, is Adams done or has he got another year? No, Adam, they, he, Griffin signed Adams to an extension last year. Oh. So I think he has three more years. Yeah. yeah, see, that's he'll have to attach one of those picks to get rid of that. Could be. And Presti will probably take it. Come back to OKC. <laughs> Come back. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That would be insane. Because Presti's got the salary to, to keep it, and Adams may be fine there, you know. They may find well, out and- what and is Ke- like, where, where does Kemba go? Right, right. Like Kemba, Kemba will probably be. I'm not a Kemba again. fan. I think I, I think you're right. I think Kemba. Um, they should have moved. Don't you Kemba totally to... see him on the Lakers or like the Clippers next year? Oh, I hope not the Clippers. I can see him more on the Lakers than the Clippers. Um, yeah. But yeah, Schroeder good... back to OKC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they bring the old guys back and then throw in seven draft picks. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. Now, when it comes to Simmons, I think at the end of the day, he'll wind up in Portland. I really do. It just makes too much sense, you know, Interesting. because they have to keep Dame. And what guy really compliments Dame's game, you know, Mm -hmm. and they have McConnell, you know, you always mess his name up. McCollum. McCollum. Oh, all right. Well, and didn't I just call David Griffin Griffith for a while? So you tried to politely correct me. I just threw it out there. People, people know me here. by now. You know what you were actually right about is when you said Winston Garland, you're like, oh, he's probably Darius Garland's father. He is. And there you go. See? I, I did. Yeah. So anything. Trust me on anything before 1985, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> anything pre-George Carl. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That, that uh. meeting wrecked my brain. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It was just that. It's just that. Right. Oh, all right, Britt. Well, um, let's uh, let's see what happens in these next few games. I think we'll be able to – when will game seven be? If that's the 22nd, that'll be next Thursday. So we'll definitely we'll definitely talk before that. But I, I'm with you. I guess to, I, your, your question from 25 minutes ago, do I think this is going the distance? And, yeah, I mean, it's – it, it seems like it. I would struggle to – I would struggle to see – I mean, because even if Milwaukee somehow wins this game five, I just feel like I, I know it would be back in Milwaukee for game six, but it it's hard for me to see either of these teams winning the next two games. Mm-hmm. If I had to pick one team to win the next two games, it would be Phoenix, though. Me too. But um, it the Suns are in a doubt zone right now. Um, how that works, you know. Aiden and Paul have to, you know, have to both mm-hmm. obviously return to form. And and if, if that's just mental, then I'm. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Happen. I agree. And also, I mean, I would argue that discipline is going to be really important. I think that, you know, as wonderful and as, as proper as your praise of him was, you know, Holiday has to stop shooting. You know, mm-hmm. and he, I mean, he has to, if he's going to shoot, he needs much better shot selection. And I would argue that campaign who as, as well as he's played would do well to uh, not quite try to be so ball hoggish and just try to, you know, more dimes, less acrobatics, 
Uh, some guys just need to be more disciplined, I guess is what I'm saying. And I think that's yeah. important too. Role players knowing their roles, I think it is, is important, but you're right. I mean, it's, I, it's, I think it's probably going to go seven. If you, if you, you know, put a gun to my head, I would pick Phoenix to win it all, but I do think it's going to go seven and I think it's going to be a lot of fun that, by the way, can we agree that game four was by far the best of the four games thus far? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it was so I mean, entertaining. I mean, it made you realize that the first three games really weren't as much fun as, you know, you wanted them to be, you know? Yeah. I mean, it just, it had the, it had the very basic element of two guys going at it back yeah. and forth. And controversy. I mean, the refs were so bad and, uh, and, you know, and, and stars who, you know, suddenly weren't playing like stars, you know? So yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, he's Britt Robson. I'm Dane Moore. Uh, Britt and I will be back to talk again next week, and I will be back tomorrow with uh, another film review with Will DeBerg on three more of the draft prospects. Until then, he's Britt. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.